good morning, good evening, good night, wherever or whoever you may be. I am Alan Arante, and this is The Recluse Podcast. Today's guest is Jessica Kimball, known to everyone as Jay Lynn. She is an artist, a musician, a poet, and an activist. She works with organizations like Black American Political Association of California and the Community Advocacy Coalition. In this conversation, Lynn and I, we talk about the time she spent in Portugal as a teenager, the events she works on, such as the Harmony Art Walk in Oxnard and the various open mic nights. We also discuss the current social climate. Jay Lynn offers some of the right reasons to protest and join the movement, and some of the wrong reasons. So without further delay, this is a portrait of Jay Lynn. I guess you can say, first and foremost, I am an artist. I moved out to the 805 area the end of 2012, and I kind of hit the ground running. I started going to school out here at Oxnard College, and I got involved with this group, uh, sociology group. And from there, I started learning different connections and nonprofit organizations. And that's kind of how I was born out here as an artist. Wow. Where did you come from? Oh, so I actually moved out here from the Coachella Valley area, Palm Desert, Rancho Mirage area. What kind of place is that? I, I'm not that familiar. I assume that's where Coachella is, right? Yeah, so it's definitely a desert. That's actually where a lot of my music was born. I mm. was around a lot of musicians and artists, and that's actually where I learned a lot of my artistry at. Um, but I wasn't necessarily out there with my music, so it was more internal, and I was kind of figuring things out. And then I moved to Oxnard, and it just kind of, like, exploded. <laughs> <laughs> so what was it about Oxnard? Did you – was it social media connections? I just don't know that many people whose destination is Oxnard. It, you know, as wonderful as it is, what made it the destination for you? Okay, so my dad moved out to Oxnard. He was working out in the desert. That's how I was out in the desert. I stayed out in the desert because I was in a relationship, and it became – toxic i had to leave and i came out here because my parents were out here and i know this is a question you're never supposed to ask a, ask a woman but what year were you born 88 i'm the 88 baby okay <laughs> i'm a 89 but barely i'm december 89 oh okay <laughs> So you said that uh, your music was sort of born out there. Were you a musician while you lived out in Palm Desert? Uh, or actually, I guess my real question is, when did you start music? Wow, I started, man, so I guess it goes way, way, way back. I remember when I was a baby or like a toddler seeing a red guitar and I would always try to like walk towards it. But, you know, somebody would snatch me up real quick. <laughs> um, and then I remember in high school, I used to daydream a lot and listen to music. And I would imagine that I was an artist. But I never thought I would be an artist. And as time went, you know, um, I started going through changes from being a teenager into like my womanhood and I started writing poetry and that's how I got involved I want to say around 2007 and I started writing a lot and you would have been like a senior in high school so, uh, or a, a junior something like that um actually I graduated early I graduated a year early I graduated 2005 instead mm. of 2006 um so in 2007 I was already out of high school and, and how, trying to figure life out. How did you finish early? Did you do like directed studies or something like that? Um, actually I was going, I was living in Portugal. I was living on wow. this Island called the Azores What? and <laughs> wow. yeah, it's right off of the coast of Portugal off of the mainland. Wait, um, so you were going to high school in Portugal. Yes, I was wow. going to high school in Portugal. And you yes. speak Portuguese? I do not speak Portuguese. No. Were were they did they teach in English or what? 
Yes, they did teach in English because the base that we were at, we were on an Air Force base. Oh, okay. Lodges Air Force Base on the island Terceta. And so, I mean, they did teach Portuguese, though. Wow, no kidding. Yeah. That is fascinating. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if you could tell me what year, or not what year necessarily, but, you know, from what age to what age were you in Portugal? I was in Portugal from the age 16 to 18. Wow. Mm-hmm. Tell, bring me back to that time. You know, what were you going through? You, you sort of did a little bit with the music and the poetry and stuff, or you were becoming a woman. Yeah, take me back to those years. You know, what what was it so, like being there? <laughs> those years, and um, I have to make a correction. It was actually, I was 15 going into 16. So um, we ended up there around Christmas time, like towards the end of Christmas time. And I actually turned 16, um, I think 15, 16 when I was out there. I, man, I just remembered I hated it when I first got out there, you know, because I was used to going to the mall and the radio and, you know, watching TV. And now I was in this place where our television only had two channels. There was no like radio station that played hip hop, you know, like I was in this like foreign place and I had to relearn everything. And then when you look around the island, all you see is water. So the Mm. island's not big. It only takes like what an hour and a half just to drive around the entire island. It was not big at all. And um, after about a year, I actually started making friends, Portuguese friends, and the legal drinking age in Portugal is 16. (laughs) Did you take advantage of that? Of course I took advantage of that. You know, like, they let you into the bars at that age. So I had the pleasure of, like, really getting out there, going to bars, going to different restaurants. Um, And the crazy thing about Portugal that I love and that I miss is, they have these festivals and the festivals start in May and they end in October. Wow. And they have a festival in every single cities with bullfights, um, parades, bomb food. But by the time I left, I was like crying in tears. I didn't want to leave. Wow. Um, I learned a lot of my art there. You know, I was painting a lot when I lived out there and I was also writing a lot of poetry there too so you first land there when you're 15 turning 16 wasn't that traumatic almost to be ripped away from uh you were in the states right when you when before 15 of course i was traumatized i mean you're just yanked from everything you know it's you know you're moving somewhere where it's it's almost like you're going to mars or something it's a different country a different language People look different, I would imagine. Just everything's different. Well, actually, you were your your school was on the base. Is that what you said? The school was not on the base. The school was actually off of the base. Um, even the base housing was off of the base. Oh, okay. But it was an English speaking school. And the people that were in your classes were they also uh, military kids? All military kids. There was wow. no Portuguese kids. So we weren't actually going to school with Portuguese kids. There were some Portuguese kids in our class that did go to the school, but it was only because their parents were somehow military but American and happened to be Portuguese. Yeah. My goodness. Did did you uh, have any love interests out there? Um, Love interest. You know... I just had my high school sweetheart, and that was about it. And, you know, we parted ways, and he's living his full life, and I am living mine. <laughs> wow. it You know, you sort of described something a little earlier. Uh, you said you were, you listened to music in high school, and you started doing poetry, and you imagined yourself being an artist. Do you feel like that high school dream you had of yourself is realized at this point in your life? Um, I believe that definitely the power of the law of attraction was definitely put into play. What do you mean by that? 
So I didn't even realize it at that time, but I subconsciously created my reality of where I'm at now. Mm. And um, I did it a lot. I would daydream every day and, you know, started actually doing it. And we don't realize that the more we tell our brain something or the more that we see things and we visualize it, that we will actually attract it into our life. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I think that's so true. I was just talking to somebody about that, um, about how our, our patterns of self-talk, how they influence our behavior and our, basically they just change our trajectory. We were talking about how if Every day you tell yourself you're ugly, you know, oh, I'm ugly. I'm, I'm never going to be good enough. And all of those things, you manifest that energy into reality. Mm-hmm. You definitely so, do. So the opposite, what you're describing is also true. You, if you, you're daydreaming about something and you're thinking about it every day, it maybe it's more likely to manifest that way. Um, so you mentioned something interesting. You said you went to uh, Oxnard College out here. Um, mm-hmm. And was it at Oxnard College or was it just during that time when you met those people who were, for lack of better words, a, social, a sociology-oriented group? You met them at Oxnard? I met them at Oxnard College. It's actually a branch of the Oxnard. It's a club, a sociology club at Oxnard College. And I was taking sociology classes as well and just really quick um there's a funny little story of how this kind of happened i was taking a class called analyzing social welfare and Mm. we had to go find a nonprofit group to go study and so i was telling somebody about my classes when i first started the semester and they somehow got me contact information for an organization they asked me for my email address and then I received an email from this organization called CAC and Baypack. I met with the leaders or the founders of this organization or the organizers, um, Byron Ward and Don Montgomery. And ever since then, I've always worked with them. <laughs> now, I ended up dropping this class, but the funny part is I was still with this organization. And from this organization, these two organizations are sister organizations. I, they gave me the platform to organize bi-monthly open mic nights. They gave me the platform to organize the Oxnard Art Walk, you know, that we have every year um, at Juneteenth. It's the Harmony Art Walk. Mm-hmm. Wow. And are you still with these groups? Of course. I mean, I associate with the groups. I'm in these groups. I still organize the Art Walk uh, due to COVID, you know, we decided that Juneteenth is going to be canceled. So Mm. there's no, there's not going to be an art walk and it was going to be June 20th. Ah, is it just delayed or it's just simply not being done this year because of it's, I don't think it's going to be done this year. And you know, right now with our social climate climate, because these groups are actually a BAPAC stands for black American political association of California. And then CAC, Community Advocacy Coalition, they have different branches, but they are a social justice group uh, that I was working with. We would organize bi-monthly open mic nights. They actually have a radio station now. It's 99.3 Rhythm of the Coast. Mm. Um, and their call numbers are KJBU. Um, mm-hmm. They're on the dial now and we are always looking for content, you know, um, but that's how I got involved with a lot of the um, community activism that I was doing out here. I was working with them and I was also working with a group called Stack, Save the Art Culture. And mm-hmm. that's actually what like really got me diving into community activism out here in Oxnard. So. Do you think that your your participation in activism and these groups and events, is it just a happenstance because you happen to meet these people? Or do you were you always sort of socially oriented, even, you know, during high school? Did you observe things when you were younger, even before 
uh, becoming a part of these groups? Um, that's a good question. I don't, I can't say I was really like social in high school. I mean, of course we're social in high school, but I wasn't like the popular kid. You know, I was actually the kid that all the popular kids didn't like. Um, I was always like the outcast of, you know, and the ugly duckling, so to speak. Really? Um, what? Yeah. What, what do you mean by yeah. that? I was a uh, very overweight when I was younger. <laughs> um, I didn't really, I guess you can say I wasn't really aware of my body or how I looked until like later. Um, so I didn't really care about those things. I was more interested with the things that were going on outside of me than I was about myself. But as life went on, um, I lost some weight and then <laughs> I like completely became like a different person, but, um, like physically and mentally, I think what got me started in these groups was um, the fact that I had a platform to express myself mm. artistically. And before that, you didn't have a platform. It, were you just doing things just for your own eyes, for your own ears? Um, yes, actually. <laughs> So what did that change mean then? All of a sudden you have a platform where other friends, other people are starting to see what what you're about. What did that change about you? Did that change the way you viewed yourself and how you acted in the world? Of course, because I went from being Jessica Kimball to Jay Lynn. That if you even said Jessica to somebody, they'd be like, who? <laughs> who? You know? Yeah. <laughs> and... um People, I would be with my parents and my parents would be like, hey, Jessica, and they're looking at my parents like, what? Or <laughs> I'm out with my parents, you know, and everybody's like, Jalen. And everybody's like, you know, my parents are like, what? Who? No, mm. you got the wrong person. They're like, no, Jalen. And I'm like, oh, that's me, you know, like. Um, yeah. But did that change? Yes, because I was just telling somebody this um, earlier today. I was having this conversation that, um, before my music got out there, I was just worried about my music and my love for my music. I loved creating and I enjoyed every moment of it. Um, I would just focus on creating. I didn't think that people would listen to my music. But then when my music got out there, yeah, it changed me because now I have to socialize. You know, before I didn't mm. have to socialize because I just lock myself in my room and create. But now I was having to, okay, I have a show. I have to go get ready for the show. And um, I think it brought out, I started realizing a lot of my insecurities, you know, with like my body and how I looked. Because now I'm trying to like compare myself to other artists, I noticed. And wow. um, not just that, you start attracting different people to you that they're not really there for you. They're just there because you have limelight or... Um, they want limelight and no you know, kidding for the wrong things. How, what's the what would tell you things. that? Like what would tell you that about a person? Like did would you get that feeling while the person was in your presence? Like they I don't know wanted just a piece of the limelight, or you seemed to be somebody to them, so they wanted to gravitate towards you. Is that just like a vibe you would get from people? I would see it with how people act. I mean, you see it in people's actions. You know when people are there genuinely, and I'll say this like this. Um, you see a person's purpose. And mm -hmm. when you see that person enacting their purpose, like, you know, somebody is passionate about something, um, like passionate about the community, you see the work that they put behind it, that they're not doing this for limelight. They're doing this because they believe in something. And then you have people that they're just doing it because they want to be, they want attention. You know, they're not really doing anything out in the community. They're not really trying to put any good. Um, they just want attention and they want, like it becomes like a popularity contest to them. Yeah. And that's, so basically, it's sort of that old adage or adage, uh, real, 
uh, what is it? Basically, real sees real. So, and mm -hmm. real sees fake. Yeah. So at you, you mentioned these open mics. Uh, do they still go? Well, I don't know about right now, but in recent years, have they still been going on? Yes. Actually, the last one that we had was December. Uh, we had an open mic toy drive. And was that in town? Was that in Ventura or Oxnard? That was in Oxnard at the Salvation Army off of Woolley. Uh, we had a really good time. We've raised a lot of gifts and money and toys for 126 kids. And wow. what was unique about this, and that was the first time that we've organized something like that. So, you know, um, that may seem like a small number, but to us, since it was our first time, it was like, oh, my gosh, we have like 126 kids that we got to come through <laughs> for. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's a lot of kids to get toys for, you know. Um Well, how did that list it, get made? I mean, how do you where did these like where do you get these names or how do you know there's 126 of them? Um so we were working with this lady whose name I'm not going to say because mm -hmm. I don't know if um how comfortable she feels. Right, right. But she works with women and children, specifically um women that, you know, are struggling that is single they you know they don't really have the financial support and that's how we got the kids so she was able to like find the families because she has these families that she helps already we told her what the idea like what the idea was and um from there it was just you know let's get the toys but we realized that a lot of the families, the kids were, you know, there was some kids that were like 13 to 17, you know. Wow. And I know that with the um, Toys for Tots program, I think they only do toys for kids that are um, 0 to 12. They stop at a certain age bracket. And we were actually able to go in there and serve the kids that were, you know, 13 to 17. Wow. Yeah, so you can get them toys that are more age-appropriate. Yeah, and so we were able to do that because the Salvation Army only provides for one set of kids. But it's like, but how about these teens that actually need it? They are in a serious development, too. Right. They're <laughs> going to be going from teenagers into adults. Their development is very important. So um, I'm glad that we are able to open that door for that age bracket you know that's a very important age bracket so why wh what are your motivations for doing this work um you know i have a niece she is gonna be seven this year and i've always loved kids i've just always had this like passion for um, helping kids. I think it's because I see the joy in their face when they're like creating art or, you know, they're doing something that um, they created or, oh, they finally get to make a mess because their parents don't like them to paint and they can paint around to a Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. So in terms of what's going on right now, I mean, what are your thoughts? Is this you know, you, it sounds like you've been into activism for years now. Is this just the same old story over again that we've heard, you know, year after year? Or does this seem like a different time in history to you? This is definitely a different time in history. And, you know, a lot of times when it comes to political stances like this, I tend to um, stay back and stand back and I observe. Uh, because I participate in different ways where I'm trying to enrich the community. Um, so I try to tread very carefully, but it's definitely a different time. And there's a lot of rage right now. Um, yeah. And it's time for this to happen. Um, this is what is going to unfold. And this is what's going to help elevate us as a race. And I mean the human race. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to elevate our consciousness. And um, this is a very great time to, I want to be proactive peacefully. And so right now we're, what, we're in 2020. 
And it's what, like, I don't know how many years later, this is a whole nother where people are coming together and the people that need to come together, coming together and they're separating. And I'm seeing this uh, separation and this division amongst people um, because of this. I, I sort of fear, I, I wonder, I, I, I totally get like why we're, we're out there in the streets, even if it's as simple as just trying to make things more equal and equal for, for people of color. That's good enough for me. I just wonder, even if we could accomplish that, you know, are we still just trying to aim for a status quo and still be basically in one way or another? Um, slaves to this rotten system. So even if we can achieve what we want to in terms of like race equality, I still wonder, are we still operating within a messed up system? Well, yes, we are operating from a messed up system. And I, I tried to push that, you know, a lot of history books will teach you that black history starts with slavery out here in the U.S. and it doesn't. That's not where black history starts. Black history starts all the way in Africa. And if you actually go and you dive into the true history of Africa, Africa was one of the richest continents. And when I say rich, I'm not talking about material wealth. Although, yes, rich in material wealth as well, but they were rich in their education. They were rich in their economic system in science, math, knowledge. They had a lot of wisdom. They knew how space worked. They probably had technology that's way more than advanced than what we will ever experience in this day and age. So the cell phone is probably out of whack. They probably were able to control, you know, the air with their fingertips. Yeah. But... um. England and Europe, a lot of the European countries, they saw how powerful and they saw that and they came and they looted, they raped and pillaged, brought slaves over here and they caused a separation of man from his own land and where he was living, you know, freely with no rules and put him somewhere where now they have to abide by these rules, but these rules are put there to keep them in place so they can't prosper. You know, like a lot of the museums that we go to, we see all these ancient African artifacts that were stolen, and now we're paying to go see these artifacts that came from land that was, you know, they stole from our land. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's just so, it's all so rotten. I'm, I feel, I do feel hopeful, I have to say, with how much awareness is going on right now. Everybody is talking about what's going on. Everybody cares as far as I can tell. Uh, it seems to be the minority, maybe it's just the people that I follow on social media and the people that I associate with to begin with. And maybe that's why I'm not seeing uh, let's say, I don't know, for lack of better words, you know, uh, people, act, uh, people protesting on behalf of white people. You know, I'm not seeing that on my social media pages or out in the streets at this time. And I really feel like we can move the needle in the right direction with this movement. We absolutely can. I absolutely agree with you. But this movement is uh, it's deeper than just protesting. Um and I want to say shout out to um, C minor uh, Curtis, or he goes by um, Acro. He mm-hmm. made a very valid point that, you know, if we want to see healing, you know, not only do we need to protest or we really need to be mindful of what we eat. We need to be mindful of our health. You know, we need to be mindful of what we're feeding not only our body, but what we're feeding our mind, what we're feeding our mm. brain, what we're watching, what we're listening to. And yes. that right there is what is going to change us as a race. And so I have to watch myself, too, because I, I am outraged. But at the same time, um, I believe 
piece is very important um, in mm-hmm. the development of us as a race and coming together. I don't want this to be, I wouldn't want this to, you know, be what black history is. You know, I want black history to be something that is healthy, you know, something that where we actually evolved as a human and we have more freedom. I want black history to represent something else. I don't want black history to be police brutality. Fuck right. no. That's not what my black history is. My black history should be of enrichment mm. and, you know, uh having generational wealth. Right. You know, uh creating black businesses and owning a whole block and supporting black businesses, not just black businesses, but, you know, businesses in general. Um but really supporting each other and really integrating each race and culture and respecting each other's cultures. Yeah. I think a a big thing is that to understand something, I feel like you have to engage with it. So if, so for instance, if I don't know anything about music, well, how can I learn more about music? I pick up an instrument. I talk to somebody who knows about music. We jam and I spend time. I feel like people aren't always willing to make that leap. For instance, I don't know, say for, I'm making a generalization here. Let's say a, a particular white person's, uh, you know, racism, their subtle racism comes from being, a, they're for some reason afraid of black people and they never engage with, with the black community. Well, they're probably going to live a life in fear and not engage somebody that's different than them. And so I think that's I think a really important part is to actually engage with the thing that you don't understand and you try Mm -hmm. your best to understand it as best as you can. Absolutely. Um, You do have to do your best to understand. Um, So, I mean, that is a very valid point. You have to kind of put yourself in that situation, try to put yourself in those shoes or um, be around that situation. Like you said, like you would, if you want to learn more about music, you have to pick up that instrument. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, I feel like, um, what am I trying to say? Um, What is the understanding that you're trying to gain? What is the purpose that you're trying to gain Mm. out of it? You know, what, what are you, what, like, what are you getting out of it? Right. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that's a good point. That's, that's a good question to ask. Um, that I've heard that why is a a very important question. For instance, I was talking to a, a high school teacher. He's always asking himself why he does certain things. So for instance, if he wants his kids to come into the classroom quietly, read the board, pull out the book that he that it says or whatever, go to page 95, whatever, what have you. He wants to always have a reason why. And a lot of teachers, they'll just tell you to do something and not have a good reason why. So I think that's a great point that you bring up about about you know, why are you trying to understand something? What's the purpose of you under picking up that instrument to understand music more? Um, because if not, if not, if you don't understand that, then you're kind of going through emotion, mm-hmm. you know? And so like, what, what is urging you? Like, is it, you know, a passion that you have? Is it a curiosity? Um, is it going to just be something that is um, a trend? You know, and that's why we have to ask those questions, because it's like, are you really down with the movement? You know, yeah, yeah, (laughs) Um, because you could try to some people will be like, oh, I want to learn the guitar. And then they try to pick it up and and then they just kind of leave it there and then they don't pick it up. again. (laughs) Yeah, it's not what they thought it would be. Yeah, there's a struggle there. Even with learning an instrument, you know, you're going to have to deal with the impatientness of like it's not as easy to learn. You're not going to just pick it up and just start playing it, you know? So you yeah. have to spend time with it. Like for instance, with this movement and with, with the current social climate, 
can you imagine bad reasons to want to engage in the protests or to to try to understand things that they don't that people don't understand so yeah can you just can you think of things that wrong reasons for trying to join this movement is there such a thing yes absolutely there is absolutely wrong things to try to join the movement for one sometimes people feel the need that oh my gosh i just want to fit in this is the cool thing to do it's a trend you know, everybody protests, everybody's doing it. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that's not why you protest. Um, or sometimes there are people and, you know, again, I want to be very careful about this, but they want to jump on something because they, I think, have a guilt mm. and you know, now they're jumping in because now they want to uh ease that guilt, if that makes any sense. Like, oh, I'm not racist. I am not racist. Look, I am here with black people. You know what I mean? Oh I'm protesting. You see me out in these streets, you know what I'm saying? But then, like, you have to, there's those people, too. And then you mm. also have the people that are like, oh, my gosh, this is the perfect time for people to to notice me. And to look, I was out in the streets, you know, like, yeah. it's not about you. It's about the purpose. You know, we're coming together as a people, you mm-hmm. know, um, and people will try to use it for their own clout. Yeah. Yeah. That's just oh, that is so strange. I That's another strange thing. Uh, I'm noticing people post about themselves being on, you know, at the protest. And I don't know what to think about it one way or another in the cases that I've seen, because it seems like it comes from a, pl- a good place in their heart. They, they're trying to uh, gain awareness or or make people aware of what's going on. Um, but that's an interesting point that people may be volunteer, not volunteering, but people may be asserting themselves into this movement for clout or attention or to ease guilt. That is just so such an interesting point. What, yeah. what are the, uh, what, what would you call the right reasons to, to participate and to make this, uh, their calling or, you know, their, their, to make this something they do? So, um, I will say like this. I'll, I'll start it off by telling you the reason why I am, you know, even participating in any of this. Um, like I said, Normally, I'd like to sit out on these things, but it's being spoken up about so much that even at my job, I'm I feel tension. Wow. Uh, people are bringing it up. And then I have those people that I don't know if they have that guilt, but because I'm black now, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, and it's like, this wow, is crazy, you know, like and then I have people that I don't agree with the looting. And like now we're not talking. You know, and it's so stupid because it's (laughs) because we're so passionate, but I feel like there's a lack of understanding. And so um, the right reasons is that, you know, not only that you're passionate about it, but you know that there's something wrong Mm. and um, we work better in numbers, you know, so if you're coming together in numbers to try to make a difference, to try to bring more peace into the community, to bring the attention out, um, to call people out of their negativity, to call police out on police brutality um, so we can make a change, then yes, that's all for the right reasons, you know, or let's say I was just talking to a girl earlier and she was talking about, she has her nephew right now. And she was like, I'm already seeing him being treated different. You know, Mm. I never thought about protesting before, but we went to the store and they were messing with us. And I feel like he's an innocent kid. He's not even grown up yet. And they're already treating him like he's a, criminal and um like to hear that i it brought tears to my eyes and it those are the reasons why Mm. i do this you know because it helps us to come together and to really cope as a community because right now 
with everything that's going on and the climate that we're in, it's becoming to where if you're even, you know, considered anti-fascist by somebody, you're automatically considered a terrorist and you're automatically stripped of your rights. So we're in a place in a social climate where it's scary for black people because you could be black and automatically they're going to say, oh, my God, this person is anti-fascist. Or you could post something on social media and they're going to be like, this person's anti-fascist and this person's a terrorist. Mm. Shoot them on site, you know, and that's that's a scary climate to be in because, um, you know, I, I don't hope that anything like that happens. I feel like we can transcend that yeah. negativity. Um, but that is the kind of climate that, you know, young black boys, they grow up in, you know, my brother, he, when we moved out to Oxnard, he had, a he had a really bad, uh, experience where somebody held a gun to his head and it, you know, it was a Mexican guy and he held a gun to my brother's head, um, and robbed him. But luckily my brother is alive, you know? Yeah. Um, and to hear that story is like, that's my brother, you know, my brother didn't want to, after that, he didn't want to leave the house. He was scared for his life because if it wasn't like somebody putting a gun to his head, it was the police that were harassing him and pulling him over just because he was black. You know, my brother feared yeah. for his life. He's like, if I leave the house, I'm either going to get locked up. Like, even if I'm not doing anything wrong, I could be on my way to work. You know, they're automatically going to think I'm a criminal. And yeah. um, it's those things that really make me like fight and come together because these are things that we do have to deal with. Yeah, it's just, I mean, enough. I mean, it's like enough is enough. I I don't know what's in my power. I don't know, like, the ways I can actually create change. I'm trying. And all I know is that, like, we enough is enough. Like, and and it's that there's this phrase going around. Like, I'm Mexican. I'm, I'm not a black person, so I can't you know, tell you what it feels like, you know, the way you can tell me, but there's this phrase going around. Like I, I can't, it it goes, I can't ever understand, but I stand with you. And that's just like how I feel right now. Like I, anything I can do to stand with my, my black brothers and sisters, I want to do, I, I just can't sit this one out and wait till it blows over. Absolutely. And, um, I feel and I'm a big advocate on, you know, black and brown unity. Um, black and brown unity is very important. I feel like um, there is a I don't want to say there's a separation among us, but there was at one point people. Um, I don't want to say the government tried to separate us, you know, by throwing us breadcrumbs and we fight over them. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, we have to come together as a people um, because you guys have similar struggles, too. You know, like you I know you're like, I don't know what you're going through as a person, but, yeah, no, you guys get fucked with, too. You guys definitely get fucked with, too, you know. Um, so we do have to stand together. And I know people may not see it, but, yeah, you guys, you know, Mexican people can't. Sometimes you guys can't walk down the street in a group or you guys are going to be considered a gang. If it's like one or more of you, you know, yeah. uh, they'll be like, oh, you know, they said, you know, gang injunctions in certain places where the the majority, <laughs> the majority of the minority <laughs> mm, yeah. are, you know, Hispanics, they're Mexican. And so that right there should tell you like, damn. They created a gang injunction because of us, you know, uh, you guys get treated differently, too. And so we definitely have to learn how to stand together. And I, I tell I have to tell this to my black brothers and sisters, like we have to stand with our our brown brothers and sisters. We absolutely have to, you know, you guys have to put that aside. Whatever pride you guys have. 
Um, if you guys had a trauma because, you know, a bad experience with somebody that was Mexican, like you had to put mm. that to the side because not everybody's like that. Vice versa, you know, um, the brown brothers, you have to trust us, you know, our brown sisters, you guys have to trust us and we have to really come together and we have to we have to push through this, you know, um, Trump's trying to build a wall so you guys don't come into here, you know, and it's like, what's the, what kind of shit is that? You know, this is your guys' land just as much as it is ours. I think the most important thing um, in this scary time is to um, to really get a hold of peace. Um, and I know that sounds like <laughs> cliche and totally the hippie movement, but um, I think a lot of this race war and a lot of the injustice where it's actually stemming from is from emotions, you know, and mm. I could it could be emotions. It could be jealousy. Um, I. I'm not trying to sound all big and bad, but, you know, a lot of these people can be jealous of a race or mm -hmm. what we have or um, they can literally have an emotion. But we have to learn how to remove those emotions, because if not, people can control you with yeah. your emotions. And so um, but I also know that a lot of people, a lot of this is all emotionally triggered and a lot of the protesting is happening because people are pissed off and they're outraged. But I feel like if we can uh, come to peace, that we will be able to think clear. We'll be able to fight better when we're at peace. Uh, we'll be able to make better decisions. And we can actually, I feel like, transcend the whole entire humanity. Um if we learn peace, you know, if if I learn how to be peaceful, you know, and approach a person with peace, I can bring mm. them into my peace. You know, we can we'll have a clear conscience to learn about each other's cultures. Yes. You know, instead of having a fuel like an emotion fueled. Oh, but I'm pissed off because your culture did this. And, you know, like, no, we need to we need to remove those emotions and we yes. need to really um embrace our peace embrace the happiness that our cultures bring us with you know that the things that can tie us together like food and and music and art you know mm -hmm. the things that enrich our culture and really share those things with each other and be proud like fuck yeah i'm proud of your culture you guys make some bomb ass tacos and I fucking <laughs> love those things, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. Uh, Jalen, I, I thank you for your time, your, um, your mind and your heart. Um, you're, you're, uh, an inspiring person. I feel like you're, there's so much about you that we can still talk about. Um, and I'd love to, you know, talk again at a time where we can just talk about music, talk about movies, talk about, you know, once we can move ahead a little bit beyond what we're going through right now, um, you're a multidimensional person. And it it's, you know, like you were saying about the emotions, sometimes we're moved to emotion because we just can't bear it anymore. It's like you, you tell me about your brother being pulled over and people, treating him a certain way and, and you too, just, just because of the color of your skin. And um, it's just infuriating when people actually are really so much more complex. I mean, I know it's obvious to us, but some people boil each other down to just what they look like. And, and it's enough is enough. Enough is enough. You know, um, this, this has to stop. The violence definitely has to stop. Um, it, I know damn well, it's not, Again, stemming from us. I mean, if somebody has that much hate and rage in their heart mm. that they can just harm a human life without, you know, any kind of remorse or regret and feel proud of that shit, that's sickening, you know, and we want to step away from that and we want to do a peaceful protest and we want, we really want to show out that like we're bigger than that. We're wiser than that. We're more intelligent than that and we're greater than that and we're not going to we are not going to step down and we're definitely not going to step down in their shoes to where we're going to 
take violent action. No, we don't need to do that. But we do have something to say and we're going to express it. Yes, I'm feeling hopeful. Um, I just have one more question for you, Jaylin. For now, maybe in the future we can talk. I'm I'm happy to have made your acquaintance. Um, you seem like somebody who's would be fun to talk to you about various subjects. Jaylin, you can answer it any way you like. Who are you? Who am I? I am. I'm just this like funky ass vibration. Like, I'm just this funky, spunky, cool, like, loving vibration. That's the only thing I can describe it. Like, if you really want to know who I am, you just kind of, you'll just feel it. That's who I am. (laughs) 